Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. I've seen all those Navajo men come up here in black suits. I thought, I'm glad they're on my side today. Hallelujah. And yes, I do remember the music director when he was in eighth grade. He was exactly the same. I want to preach to you a sermon I've entitled, Different Strokes for Different Folks. It wasn't uh, too awful long ago that uh, I began to realize that fruitfulness is not the result of a man's personality. Though I'd like to believe I have a people-oriented personality. I had to begin to consider that fruitfulness is not just a good method or a good program or a good sermon. And I began to consider four qualities of fruitfulness that I believe will help us today because it will give us great insight especially if we are going to make impact on folks of different strokes. How many folks know we're not all the same? We would be boring if we were all the same. I want to look at this subject for just a moment. Book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 9. I do want to take this just a moment to say thank you so much for hosting us. We always find it a joy and a privilege to come. I can remember way back when you were down on the other building in a black glass building, you had us come, the very uh, first outbreak of revival in Chinle, Arizona, and for the years you've been very, 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 very hospitable and kind to have us back each year. In the book of Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, the Bible says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And all they, asked, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Pastoring the same church, in fact, the only church I've ever pastored, all of my ministry, it has opened my mind to the sacred office of what it means to be a pastor and what it means to possess the divine and the godly authority that God has placed upon my life. This is absolutely no light issue. As I see the wonderful choir and all the precious people that God has allowed me to minister to and has given authority to me to lead, it is very interesting to note that this is a sacred call. The word authority actually means the right to control. Anyone who has ministered any level at all 
recognizes that in the hands of the office of the pastor, there's a powerful dimension of control that is automatically given to that man for these people. It means the right to command. It means the right to make decisions or to enforce obedience. It is the power over the actions of others It is where we get the word influence, and the text that is before us is pointing to four very powerful areas that I believe have enabled me to make the impact in a people that I am not a part of, a people of different strokes, a people of a different culture, a people of a different race. I want to look firstly at the recognized grace doesn't take long to realize that in this text it is pointing to a dimension of fruitfulness that I believe is oftentimes lost, especially in an atmosphere of fruitfulness. The Bible in our text says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, this, beloved, is a picture of apostolic ministry. Listen to me. I could have done nothing of and by myself. I could have done nothing of my own ability, of my own creativity. The recognized grace that has to be pointed to in the arena of fruitfulness, beloved, is the dimension of the men that were bigger than me, the men that were reputed, the men that actually laid hands on my empty head. I want you to look at this rather casual passage of Scripture. Because without careful consideration, this will be missed. At face value, this Scripture appears to be speaking only about the grace of God that is visible on Paul and Barnabas. There is a recognized grace that Paul and Barnabas are considering as they are looking at those reputed to be pillars. This is first seen by Paul. This cannot be missed in the arena of fruitfulness. We have to see this. Paul's view of these men was very intense and very powerful. Paul is viewing these men long before he's leaning on his own gifting and his own qualities and the blessing upon his own life and the grace of God that is on him and Barnabas. He is recognizing and he is looking to greater men far greater than himself. And he is saying, look at these men, James and Peter and John. They display all kingdom authority. These are not just men. They are not just common men. They are recognized and reputed leaders of the modern church of Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas are looking looking at these men. And they are saying James is the brother of Jesus Christ himself. Peter is the one who through divine revelation knew who Jesus, the Son of God, is. This is the man that Jesus said, my flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. This is the foundation of the entire church. This is the very rock that Jesus says that I will build my church 
Paul is recognizing that he is desperately needing the endorsement of these greater men, the endorsement of reputed leaders, the endorsement of men far greater than themselves. He is saying, you know what? This, these are the men whereby the foundation of the church is going to be. And he is speaking, that's John the Beloved. That's not just a normal man. That's the one that the Word of God says Jesus loves. Paul recognized and understood that if he had the endorsement of these men, it would be validating proof that he wasn't still the chief of all sinners. He wasn't still the emotional persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. He said, I am desperate for the endorsement of the grace of God that is upon these reputed to be leaders. I stand here today in full confidence, knowing and thanking God that everything I do, I have learned from another man. There is a credibility that is desired. Paul believed that if these great influences of the church would recognize the grace of God in his life, that they would offer to them the right hand of fellowship, and we would be regarded as pastors, we would be regarded as apostles, and the right hand of fellowship would be the endorsing power upon our lives and all that we do. This is not just a formality, but a meaningful endorsement, an extension of ministry, and what is so valuable for you and I to recognize in the lieu of fruitfulness is this is the very thing Paul and Barnabas were desperate for. Not just because of the visible grace that was upon Paul's life, which was very real and very tangible, but because of the reputed pillars, the influence and the credibility that was upon their life, I know if they will help us, our lives will go far beyond our own personal ability if we can get the endorsement of these men was very powerful when I moved to Chinle, Arizona. There was a couple here, in fact a couple in Chinle, they're here today and I, I trust they'll remember when this took place. They are people of the community. They are leaders of the community. They are well-respected, hard-working people. And the, the man of the house got a hold of me one day. I was a brand new young pastor. Fifteen and a half years ago, I looked a little bit better then. And he called me to his house and he says, How do I know you're going to stay around here? How do I know you're not just going to be a flash in the pan? You just come into our city and you want me to trust you? I'm not going to trust you. I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm not eating here. They're going to poison me. He says, there's been many violations here on the Indian reservation. There have been all kinds of doctrines. There's been all kinds of insanity and violators of the people of God. And what in the world, why should I trust you? I looked at him and I thought to myself, I'm leaving. You don't have to trust me. He says, we're going to your house, your church. Not because of you. 
but because we know the men who endorsed you. I had a lady one day come up to me and she says, are you going to judge that sin right there? Those are my kids. And you know, I don't know how to do all this. And I said, yeah, I'm going to judge them. I said, hey, you, you guys, you get out of here. You're going to have to get married. I didn't know I was a new pastor. And that little Navajo grandma looked at me and she goes, I hope you believe in something because I know your leadership and they believe in something. I want to make sure you're the same mold. Fruitfulness comes when we're able to recognize the grace of God as upon reputed leadership. I want to look secondly at the grace, recognize grace, that is upon Paul and Barnabas. This is a subject that I believe every man that wants to go into the ministry needs to understand. Fruitfulness comes when we recognize that it's not by might, nor by power, nor by talent, nor ability, but by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God alone to be called by God to be used as a vehicle of redemption is absolutely a powerful subject that creates fruitfulness when we are able to recognize for ourselves that God's grace is upon our life. I don't know what it is about our generation of men. We live in habitual, continual insecurity. Paul here is very confident in saying they're going to ask us to be a part of what they are. They're going to offer us the right hand of fellowship when they recognize the grace of God that has been given to me also. Paul understands that God has chosen him. He has a personal revelation of the grace that is upon his life. John 15 and 16, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. There is a powerful dimension of fruitfulness when a man will stand in the office of any ministry and be able to declare that I have been chosen by God for this position. This is what God has given me. This is something that God is going to do through my life. It's authority that's given to us from God. It's divine grace. Colossians 1 and 24 says, Stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of the living God. It's a divine grace that God places upon a man. When recognized... I can remember when I began to get this, I used to tell the Navajo people, hey man, you guys better take care of me because if you die, I'll probably bury you. But if I die, all of you are going to die. Because God does equip men. And oftentimes I believe we waste years of our life wondering if that divine grace is real. In Jeremiah 1 and 5, 
Before I formed you in your womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Listen to me, beloved. This is a powerful, powerful nugget to lay hold of. It's recognizing the grace of God that God has given to a man. You know, in Shiprock, New Mexico, is the northern side of the Navajo Reservation, we have a celebration called Shiprock Fair. And once a year, the Navajo Nation comes together by the thousands. I'm talking thousands of people. And around midnight on Saturday night, on the first weekend of October, they come to do a ceremony. And it is, the ceremony is actually called Nightway Ceremony. And they come into a hogan and they get into all of their dancing costumes. And about midnight, they dance around and do what's called a Yebiche dance. And the actual deity called Yebiche, which means giant grandfather, makes his first emergence of the year. And there's a humongous celebration, a gigantic traditional healing crusade. Hear me, on the night that that was taking place in 1982... There was a little small Mexican whose life was totally messed up, had moved from Farmington to New Mexico, a city of all white people. I moved to Gallup, New Mexico, a melting pot of every kind of people on planet Earth. I felt a horribly, horribly dark-tanned white person, minority, filled with all kinds of insanity, never seen so many brown people in my whole life. I walk into a Navajo church, and on the night of the emergence of the Yebiche, God says, on this day, I'm going to save me a man. I'm going to touch me a man that's going to go into that nation and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got saved on the night of the big Yebiche in Shiprock, New Mexico. Somewhere in our life, we have to recognize that God does call us. Paul's statement is not one of conceit. He is recognizing the tangible grace of God on his own life. Second arena that brings great fruitfulness. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. 
We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Different folks for different folks. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Easy for them to say, huh? You go to the Gentiles. We'll go to the Jews. You go to the reservation. We'll go to San Diego. That's how this stacks up. (laughs) Paul and Barnabas probably didn't have a clue what had just happened to them. I can remember when I was asked to go into Chinle. (laughs) I brought a rap group. I won't tell you where it's from unless you got money. And that rap group was so bad, I joined the sinners to help mock. (laughs) We paper macheed the city. We did healing crusades in the neighborhoods. We gave away hot dogs. You know what, man? Unless you give away fry bread, your hot dogs, you're going to have a lot of hot dogs left over. (laughs) Different strokes for different folks, man. We would go out and preach with a bullhorn or preach in the flea market. Oh, my goodness. They would say, man, we already heard that. We already heard that. Go away. Go. They started calling me the potty house. <laughs> Nothing was working. But I know I'll bring in some of these big-name evangelists. Oh, my goodness. One night, we had an evangelist there. We had an inter- interpreter that was better known as an interrupter. Two winos came into our tent crusade, had a knockdown drag out, knocking out the first ten rows of our tent meeting. And by the end of that rally, I mean to tell you, come Friday morning, I gave the preacher his check. And I said, you know what? Don't cash it till Monday. You don't even have to preach tonight. I'm taking the tent down. I want out of here. Nothing was working. Go to conference, say, man, these, they don't, these guys must not pastor Gentiles. I learned the valuable lesson of fruitfulness and privilege to lead is something that has got to be earned. It's not something handed down and it's not something you can demand. I begin to realize that of effective authority, beloved, so when I begin to understand that I had to be, th- be all things to all men, to the Navajos I had to become a Navajo. If I was going to reach the Navajos, 1 Corinthians 9 gives a clear picture of that. I can remember a guy in my church said, hey, preacher, do preachers get dirty? Well, what do you need? I got 75 sheep. I need to know if you can inoculate them. Heck, inoculate sheep. I came to be a preacher, not a veterinarian. So I said, hey, man, I can do anything. If you can do it, I can do it, I'm sure. So I had to learn how to catch sheep. First time I did that, I was wearing white pants. You don't just grab them by the skin. They'll give you a ride for your life. You have to catch them by the back leg, and then you can control them everywhere. Then you flip them over, and you get the syringe, and you inoculate their neck. Two days inoculating these demon-filled creatures. 
I had to learn how to butcher sheep. Oh, but that's okay because it's payback time now. See all these handsome men in black? Part of their discipleship is, hey man, do you little Navajo boys know how to butcher or are you a dead burnt apple? Red on the outside, white on the inside. Go get yourself a sheep. Don't grab it by the skin. Pick it up by the leg. Tie up its leg. And you will slice from ear to ear. Man, they were more nervous than I was. But as they begin to see, hey, this guy's all right. We might be able to follow this guy. Authority was given to me when I was willing to do as they did. I grew up with white people. I thought leg of lamb came at the nice restaurants. (laughs) When they begin to serve me intestine-wrapped stomach fat, deep-fried, it's called achi. I looked at that stuff. I said, oh my God, they love it. What's wrong with these people? These Gentiles, oh my God, this is unclean. I'm a Mexican, I'm a Mexican, I'm a Mexican. And the two of my councilmen, oh man, you have to eat the nashkonj. That is the end of the intestine that is the last inch of its... uh... (laughs) Just clean it real good. It's going to fry, look like a little donut. Just eat it. Little bigger than a Cheerio. Dan, you're like one of us. (laughs) They were not there when I ate it because they couldn't keep up with the preacher. But I ate one of those big Cheerios, man. I can remember one day we had a group from San Diego there. You know how pastors are. We're a little intense. You know, we like to be on time. We like things to happen. We were slaughtering a cow for the camp meeting. And all the San Diego kids are there. Rick Buckles is there. You know, all these kids are there, city folks. And it's time to butcher the cow. And I'm telling the folks, hey, man, where's the gun? Where's the gun? Nobody had the gun. Then we found the gun, and nobody had bullets. And I'm losing it. Says, no wonder you had to walk. You have no bullets. You have no gun. They're going to make us walk again. Would you stop it? So finally, the older guys of the church said, would you shut that preacher up? They went and got about a 15-pound sledgehammer, and they said, this is how we do it. Wham, 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 wham. And... Pastor Buckles and I and all these California white kids are sitting there. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! They just killed the cow with a sledgehammer! Different strokes for different folks. That wasn't near as bad as that night when we had to eat it. How many folks know that you can't totally hate what the people you've been sent to reach do naturally? Now, right before my son passed away, we went to go eat at family's house. (laughs) And they made meatloaf and mashed potatoes over here. They made, made roast mutton and roasted ribs and Navajo tortillas and all kinds of Navajo squash. 
my son's looking at that dinner table and he's looking at that and he looks at me and says, Dad, do we got to eat the white people food? <laughs> it's amazing how it's okay to be a part of the Gentiles in that capacity. It required me to be sensitive to the culture. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 2, it says, Open your hearts to us, for we have wronged no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I realized that this time, longevity was in the mix. I realized if I'm going to be fruitful, I'm going to have to be here a while. Because one of the common denominators is you're too young, you're too flashy, you're too bold, you're going to leave us just like all the other ones have. And I had to realize that I might have to live with these people and I may have to die with these people, but longevity was in the mix. 2 Corinthians 13 and 10 says, When I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, The Lord has given me to build you up and not for tearing you down. I began to realize that fruitfulness was going to be linked to the matter in which I dealt things and how I dealt with things. I began to realize what you don't know is many of the folks in Chinle either have one or one mother, no father, one father, no mother, and in rare case, you'll have a child with no parents at all. I've learned that I have to build these people up. I have to use methods of reaching them, especially the fatherless. As I was listening to the Sunday school, boy, how powerful that is. Because I promise you, there was a time that I was a tyrant. My way, no way, or the highway. And it was amazing how it was always the highway. And you're not going to live out there without fruit, I promise you. You'll start filling out that gold sheet after you counted the dogs. You'll throw it away and write Ichabod on this. Here, Mother Church, here's your report. You begin to realize, maybe click light came on. (laughs) Maybe I ought to help these people become more than they are. Amazing, amazing fruitfulness began to take place when I realized that the authority that God has given me was for building them up and not tearing them down. I realized that I didn't want to be just a pastor that was tolerated. You ever met pastors that you got to tolerate for the whole fellowship as a whole? (laughs) I didn't want to be one of those. I really want these people to love me like I love them. I began to realize, beloved, that if I could build these men up, if I could help them become more than they are, what a glorious, glorious day this would be. It's so easy to tear down people you know nothing about. Can you say amen? The stereotype of Navajos, drunks, dumb Indians. And then they meet the Chinle Potter's house. One day we had some real educated people, doctors come to our service in sweat clothes. And if you're in sweat clothes, I do, it's no pun intended. But they came into an all Navajo church except for the Norrises. You saw our bleached Navajo girl up here today. 
She's an albino Navajo. Her and her mom are minorities in our church. There's about 150, 160 skins and Catherine and her mom. And these educated people walked into this all Navajo church and they stopped right after the foyer. <laughs> Song service was going on. I was greeting and I said, uh, what's wrong? And they said, oh my God, we are so underdressed. They didn't stay and it didn't matter. Because in that room was a church full of Navajo people with their hands lifted up serving God at the highest level imaginable, became an intimidating force in the dying world. Fruitfulness comes when we're willing to build people up. Lastly, all they've asked us to do is to remember the poor. This is a picture of Paul's love for the Corinth church. Impact is made when you love the people you are trying to reach. See, sometimes I I believe our outreaches are lacking that personal dimension. It's more than getting out a piece of paper. It's more than just shouting on a street corner. It's when we actually want with everything in us these people to make it. I begin to think of the Corinth church, the Gentile church, which was not a model church of perfect behavior. You read about the Corinthian church, it reminds me of the Chin Lee church. They had a few problems going on. You read about all the insanity, all the immorality, all the craziness. Paul speaks of their rebellion. My goodness, as you hear Paul preach, you can tell he's coming down on the church of Corinth. But Paul's love for them had to exceed the depths of their problems. 2 Corinthians 12.15 says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I may be loved. I can remember a young man named Iceman. (laughs) He gets powerfully saved, and when he'd give his testimony, he'd get behind the pulpit. And you couldn't see him and he'd testify. All you'd hear is a voice. Well, one day he went to the high school and he was catching the pigeons and he was uh, twisting off their heads and pouring the blood all over the parking lot. They don't do that here? <laughs> City folks, huh? Okay. Don't try it. Not healthy. Anyway, the principal called me very, very upset and rightly so. But here's a man that used to deal drugs, crystal meth, all kinds of junk to junior high, elementary school kids, every kind of problem you could imagine. And I could clearly remember the day I told him, you know what, man, he's, he's not everything that he should be. But somewhere in our life, we have to thank God he's not what he used to be. See, our love for people sometimes is going to have to exceed their problems. Reminds me of the story of the barbershop. Man went into the barbershop and he sat down to get a haircut. And the barber's looking at this guy and says, I've cut your hair for years. What's wrong? He says, well, I've been a part of my church for 25 years and we have to get rid of the pastor. I'm very disturbed over this. Well, what's wrong with the pastor? He tells us we're going to hell. He tells us we're no good. 
He tells us we'll never amount to nothing. And he tells us we're never going to get our life right. So we had to ask him to leave. So the guy gets in and he says, well, I'm real sorry for you. And six months later, the guy goes back in for his haircut and he's all happy. The barber says, hey, man, you look you're happy. What, did you get your church problems taken care of? Yeah, we got ourselves a new pastor. He says, well, is he really different? Oh, not really. He tells us we're no good. He tells us we'll never amount to nothing. He tells us we're all going to hell. He tells us we're never going to get right. But this one we know really cares for us. Fruitfulness comes when there is a emulating spirit of healing and love even in the most difficult situations that afford a church. It is here, beloved, that Matthew 20 and 25 says, Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, Yet it shall not be so amongst you. But whosoever desires to become great amongst you, let him be your servant. And whosoever desires to be first amongst you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. It is a picture of a shepherd's heart. As I was watching this choir come to sing, I always get very moved because I've been their only pastor. And I know the story behind the story. God help us behind the story, behind the story, behind the story. I know all the kids that have been disciplined. I know all the ones that are not here because they're disciplined. I know all the ones that are making it and all the problems they're suffering. And I'm thinking, you know what? Their hope is in a church helping them to become. Watching what God has done, watching what God has built, watching what God has restored and healed, I stand amazed at the amazing grace of God transferred to the Navajo Nation because God loves those people. I close with this last story. I was walking down the parade route last year. And my wife and I, my wife preaches better than most men. I don't know why that is. A woman can testify 10 to 1 better than a man. It makes me sick. I told Mr. Ashley, you're going to testify and you better not let the weak girls outdo you. You better not. You be- you be- I don't know why that is. When my wife is preaching on the parade route, and it's my turn, and at the end of the parade, there's the president and the first lady of the Navajo Nation. They come out of the shaded area of the parade route. My daddy raised me fools. It was my little brother. I quickly grabbed some ice water out of our ice chest and ran it over to them, just in case they were offended at what my wife and I just said. (laughs) And they both put their arms around me. He said, we thank God for your church. We thank God for the men that you're sending all over the reservation. You have no idea the impact that your church is making on a very, very large scale. There's something very powerful about fruitfulness. When we recognize that it takes reputed leadership, 
There's something very powerful, beloved, about the grace of God upon our own life. There's something very fruitful when we tap into effective evangelism. And there's something very awesome when we're able to find and develop in our own life a servant's heart. I want you to bow your heads in this place this morning. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.